This is the Marketing Podcast Network. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Hannah Mary McKinnon. Before I do that, I just want to remind you to please follow Uncorking a Story on the social platform of your choosing. We're easy to find at Uncorking a Story wherever you are, whether that's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, even LinkedIn. Thank you very much for that. And if you've not subscribed to Uncorking a Story, please do that on your favorite podcast app and you'll be informed about our latest episodes. And lastly, please rate and review Uncorking a Story wherever you get your podcast. That's enough about a uh, commercial for me. Um, I do want to introduce you to our latest guest. Today's guest is Hannah Mary McKinnon. And Hannah was born in the UK, grew up in Switzerland, and moved to Canada in 2010. Her suspense novels include The Neighbors, bestsellers Her Secret Son, and Sister Dear, You Will Remember Me, and Never Coming Home. She joins me today to chat about her career and latest novel, The Revenge List. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure having you here, and I'm curious, where does your story as an author begin? Ah, so my story as an author actually began in Canada around about 2011, 2012, so, so a little bit more than a decade ago. Um, when I came here, I left a, a very uh, good corporate gig back in Switzerland where I was the CEO of an IT recruitment company, and um, I came here. My husband's Canadian, that's the Canadian connection, and started up my own business, absolutely convinced that it would be the best thing since sliced bread. And it wasn't. <laughs> the market spoke. It gave me, it gave me a thumbs down and the company failed within the first year of inception. So I needed to figure out what I wanted to do if I still wanted to work corporate or try something else. And I decided at the ripe old age of 42 or whatever it was, to do something else. And that's when I started writing. What did you learn? I mean, you call that a failure, but what did you learn from that experience? A huge amount, an absolutely massive amount. Um, I think it, it helped me in many ways because I realized that I don't like failure. I mean, nobody does, right? But but it was horrible. It was really painful, and I didn't and I didn't expect it because I was so certain that the company would work. And when I decided to write, and I wanted to go the traditional route, you know, agent and and traditional publishing deal, that I did not want to fail. I really, really didn't want this to 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 not work out either. Um, so I think what I learned was in the immediate was that um, tenacity and perseverance were really important to just not not give up and to look at the situations. Okay, so that didn't work out. Um, as Ross would say in Friends, pivot. And what am I what am I gonna do now? Um and when I decided to to start writing out, I didn't know if it would work out, but I knew that I would do everything I possibly could to make it happen and to to just keep going. Um 
what I was also able to learn actually was that my my business experience, my corporate knowledge of say networking and, and um, public speaking and so forth, and just industry knowledge, you know, understanding how a business works was really instrumental in understanding how publishing works and how I could translate what I'd learned in the world of recruitment into the world of, of publishing. Um, so if someone was talking about, you know, oh, the P&L, I knew what they meant, profit and loss, I get it. You know, so, so it was all, all very helpful. And uh, although it hurt when the company failed, I don't actually regret it at all. So you take on um, what I would not call a small project, which is writing a book. Yes. Did you have any sense prior to this time that you wanted to be an author? Like when you were growing up, was it a dream of yours to to write a book? I mean, how how did you just bridge the gap to me from from this business kind of going under and then saying, oh, you know what, I'm just going to write a book? I'm just going to write a book. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to do that. So I I loved I loved writing in school. You know, writing essays. Um, I mean, creative essays was my one of my favorite things. I love doing that. I love books. I love stories. But actually writing a book was never on my horizon. I had a very, very vague idea that maybe one day I would like to write a book. Um, my grandmother used to tell stories. She would make them up, record them on cassette tapes and send them to to me, my sister, when we were when we were little. I still have them actually. And one of the plans was that maybe one day I would I would release a children's book of my grandmother's stories or something. I haven't actually done that. Maybe one day, who knows? Um, but it wasn't really until I came here and then the company failed that I had time, which I didn't have before. It was always my corporate career. I worked way too many hours because I'm a bit of a workaholic, to say the least. And we had three kids in 16 months, um, twins the second time around. So it, I, I didn't really have time. I know how odd that sounds, but I didn't really have time to even contemplate doing something else. So when I suddenly had time and I was reading much more again, I thought, you know, I always used to love writing. Maybe maybe I could write a book one day. Maybe I could. And then it was my husband actually who said, well, why don't you do it now? Why don't you why don't, just give it a go and see what happens? If it doesn't work out, well, then you'll do something else. Uh, and so far, I haven't needed to. How important was his encouragement for you? It was huge, honestly, um, because I had, and I make no bones about this, I had attached my, almost my entire identity to my big corporate job. And when I left that and then the company failed, I felt as if I'd pushed my entire career willingly off a cliff. And I didn't. I, I didn't really know who I was anymore. As as odd and as as as, as pathetic as that sounds, I I really didn't know who I was and what I was going to do and where am I going to go from here. And I'm in Toronto. You know, there's there's millions of people here. I speak three languages, but two of them nobody really cares. So what do I what do I have to offer? So I went through a bit of a midlife crisis, which I am fully aware. Um, that coming to Toronto as an immigrant, I have all kinds of privileges. You know, until until I open my mouth and people hear my funny British accent, nobody knows that I'm a foreigner. You know, nobody knows that I'm not from here. Um, so I know I know that other people have it far more difficult, way more difficult coming here than than I ever ever would. But nonetheless, when you when you're kind of stuck in your ruts, you don't necessarily see that as much as you should at the time. So his input and his encouragement was was huge. He was the one saying, "Come on, just just get it out, just just try." Oh, will you, for the love of God, just give it a go? <laughs> so he was instrumental, uh, absolutely no doubt, in in uh, me finishing the, the book in the end. So the the book you started was did that go to publication? Because I know a lot of times, you know, a first book, you know, it uh, might might sit in a drawer for a little while. But did did you have success with that first book? I did. Um, the first book I wrote was Time After Time. It was a rom com. It was not a thriller. I then and then pivot, as Ross would say again, moved over to thrillers uh, and back again to rom coms. I'm now doing both. Um, but yes, that was the first book. That I that I wrote, um, I sent it to my mum. She said it was great. 
anyone listening, don't do that. You know, I mean, <laughs> don't send it to her. That's lovely. But maybe send it to other people too uh, first before you send it to agents, which which I, I sent it to agents and they said, well, no, we like the idea. But the ex- if I heard anything at all, the idea is good, but the execution, not so much. So I went back and I, I rewrote it. I took writing classes, which I probably should have done before, you know, um, another one of those learning curve moments. And I hired an external editor who read through it and helped me. And that was really eye-opening. And I, I was just determined because the feedback that I had um, was that the idea was good, but work on the executioner. I thought, well, I can... I can do that. And it did. I, I did get an agent and I, I did get a publishing deal. And it released with HarperCollins UK as an ebook in 2016. Um, and then I've had a book every year since 2018. I'm curious how long, soup to nuts, from the first draft of, or starting the first draft of that book to finding the agent, how much time elapsed? I think it would probably have been about two years, I think. Okay. It was about it was about two years. And it sounds like you were able to sort of shorten the time required to to get something into publication since then. So did you learn? I mean, how much did you learn just by doing that first book? I learned a, 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 an awful lot, to be honest, because I I, I didn't know how the the publishing industry works. I had a vague idea, but you know, I understood the relationship author, agent, publisher, because it's very similar to um candidate recruitment agency clients. So so that was that wasn't uh, an odd relationship at all for me. I understood how that works immediately. Um but in terms of the the amount of people involved in in birthing a book, um and things that you should do and not do. You know, I remember in my first, in my very first draft, or the the one, not my first draft, but the one that the external editor saw, certainly, oh my gosh, I don't remember how many cliches were in there, but I thought I was being clever because in the corporate world, there's an awful lot of cliche speech, low hanging fruit and dovetailing and all this kind of stuff that now makes me groan. Um, you don't do that in books. You don't, unless you're, you're using them in a in a humorous way. You 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 don't. Um, so I just learned a lot as I went along, uh, and with every book, I still learn because every book's a little bit different. Um, I discovered that the writing community is one of the kindest, most generous, and uplifting communities I have ever encountered. That was a complete surprise. Um, I didn't I didn't realize that that. That, that was the case. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have any expectations. I just. I just didn't know going in, uh, and that's been a revelation and and something that I hold very close to my heart and always make sure to pay forward. Yeah, it is a very supportive community, and it's surprising how supportive it is at time. I mean, we're all trying to do the same thing, so we're all kind of competing with each other at some point. But there's but just no. so much, so much love and support. It's yes. Um, Yes. And the thing I love is that, you know, um, if somebody reads my book, it doesn't mean they're not going to read somebody else's and vice versa. They'll they'll read stuff that, that maybe I like and recommend or other people like and recommend or, you know, it, it's just it, it's just a lovely, lovely community and a, and a complete surprise. Well, let's pivot to use your word or Ross Geller's word um, and talk about the Revenge List. What can you share with us about the Revenge List? Oh, let me get, give you the uh, the elevator pitch, shall I? So it's it's a thriller. Um, it is about an anger management group therapy exercise gone terribly, terribly wrong, where Frankie Morgan finds herself in an anger management uh, in anger management therapy following an altercation, a situation with a client and her boss, who also happens to be her dad. And she's tasked with writing a forgiveness list. So imagine a list of people who have wronged you in the past and who you could choose to forgive. Of course, Frankie doesn't want to forgive anyone because she's in anger management. And she doesn't really think much of it when she loses said list until one by one, the people on the list start having accidents of more increasingly serious nature. And She's in trouble, a lot of trouble, 
Because although she doesn't like these people on the list, and perhaps it wouldn't be too bad if some of them did have these mishaps, her own name is on the list. And she put it there because her past self is the one person she will never be able to forgive. So now she's in a huge amount of trouble. Well, there, there's a lot of depth there. Um, but such a simple idea, you know, taking this, you know, this list. Did, did you, have you had any experience in anger management yourself? I'm just curious how you, you came to, you know, that that is part of a, a plot point. So, no, I, I have not had um, experience in anger management, nor did I attend an anger management group because I felt that would be, that would be really intrusive to, to to go there and, and hear people talk about their experiences and what they're dealing with. And then somehow that, not that I would do a, a copy paste, but that would somehow infiltrate my work. You know, that just didn't feel right. I did speak to psychologists, but the original idea, <laughs> the original idea for the book came through frustration and anger with myself. So what happened was I had an idea for, for a book. I, I pitched it to my agent who loved it. And we're both geeking out about this meta, this meta story. And it's going to be great. And, and surely, you know, my editor will love it. And she didn't. She, she felt it was too quiet. And the question was, what else have you got? Some scrambling to come up with another idea, pitched another one, pretty much the same feedback, came up with a third one, same feedback again. You know, it's just, just feel it's a bit too quiet. And I'm, and I'm sitting in the garden thinking, oh my God, I'm not an idea factory, but I have another idea and I'm getting angry that at myself, not at my agent and my editor at all, but at myself and frustrated with myself that I'm not coming up with something that is basically loud enough. And I thought, too quiet, too quiet. I'm going to give you too quiet. I'll tell you what's not quiet. An angry woman. Ooh, an angry woman. Maybe she's in anger management. Why would she be in anger management? And what could possibly happen? And then it just, you know, went on from there. And that, that was the origin of the story. It was two, three ideas being rejected, for which I'm actually really thankful, because otherwise Frankie and her story would, would not exist. Well, there, there's another example. And it's, this is the second example you've given us today of something wonderful coming from failure. Yes. You know, the first yes. being, right. you know, the loss of your um corporate idea career yeah. that business and now you know th you had three strikes right you you were if you were at bat and i'll use american <laughs> baseball as a metaphor here yes. you know you you may have you know you may have striked out but at some point you know you you actually use that to like fuel your creativity somehow i think that's a really cool story yes it was it, it was it was funny um and it, and, it, and it all worked out in the end so i'm <laughs> really I'm really pleased because Frankie's one of my favorite characters, I think, that I've that I've created. And and if the first idea had been accepted, um, I I would never have stumbled across her, which is which is really odd to think about, really. You know, that would never have happened. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you failed three times with your uh with your editor. <laughs> oh my. And and the other ideas I still I have them in my back pocket. Maybe I'll do something. Maybe I'll tie them together. Who knows? It's never lost. You know, they might they might inform the next project I work on or the one after that. Who knows? How do you flip between writing rom coms and thrillers because they're so different? Um, they are. They are really. They are really different. So when I started writing my rom com, The Christmas Wager, that publishes as Holly Cassidy, I have a pseudonym for for the next rom com coming up on. Is in September. My initial thought was, oh, great, I don't have to come up with an extraordinary twist to, that's going to have to surprise or try and surprise everyone. Boom, pressure's fallen away. And that thought was immediately followed by, oh, no, everyone knows what the ending is going to be because everyone knows that in a rom-com, there's a happily ever after, or at least that's, that's the serious expectation. How on earth am I going to keep people interested in this? If they already know what the ending is going to be, what? Oh no, what have I done? <laughs> Did I say I was going to do this? Um, so once I recovered from that and realized, okay, you've just got to make it just like a thriller, really interesting with mini cliffhangers at the end of every, 
every chapter, if you possibly can, give people reasons to turn the page and no reasons to put the book down. I really approached it in the same manner, you know, character, I, I plot, I'm a heavy plotter, but character development and character interviews and character backstory and a plot and a very detailed outline and then multiple, multiple um, layers on top of my first terrible, terrible puke draft, even though I plotted, it's just awful because uh, I'm just telling myself the story and no one's going to see my puke draft. I would die if anyone saw those, that'd be terrible. Um, so essentially it was really in the same, much in the same way, just without the murder. Well, that's the trick, right? I mean, just getting people to continue to read and, and turn the next page and go to the next chapter, yes. you know, whether you're writing a thriller or a rom-com or, yes. um, or a mystery, it's that, that's the key. And if you can figure out how to do that, um, you're you're pretty golden. You mentioned having a pseudonym for a rom-com. Tell me the, the rationale. I think I might know the rationale behind that, but I'm just curious as to to why. So um, my thrillers are with Mira HarperCollins and my rom-coms as Holly Cassidy are with Putnam, Putnam and uh, Penguin Random House. And the idea was really that if somebody picks up a Han and Mary McKinnon book, because The Revenge List is my seventh book, but my sixth, thriller they're expecting <laughs> people are gonna die there's gonna be blood on the page not gore but you know, people will die so it would be confusing potentially to have a book with that with hannah mary mckinnon on it and a cute cover and a love story and what what, what is this <laughs> what is going on so we decided basically to have a new, to, to not hide my identity. If anyone picks up the Christmas wager, they'll see um, at the very beginning, it says that the, it, it lists my thrillers and it lists them as Hannah Mary McKinnon, says that I'm um, a best-selling author of, of, of suspense. So we're not trying to hide my identity in any way. Uh, it's the same author photo, but just to have people make that distinction that this is not a thriller, you know, this, this, Nobody's going to die here. There will be a happy ending. I promise. <laughs> that was the reason. It, it's almost like in marketing, your your brand can only extend so far. Yes. So if if your brand is known for one thing, and then you try to do something completely different, and this happened in my corporate career when I worked on the Pons brand for Unilever, you know, it was known as a cold cream for um, more mature uh, yes. people. Let's say more yes. mature people. They tried to pivot to use that Ross Geller term again and and tried to position it as something for uh, much younger people. And yeah. it failed miserably because yes. it didn't have the permission to enter sort of that space. This is something somewhat similar. It's, hey, you're Absolutely. known for thrillers. You can't just throw a rom-com at somebody under the same name. And um, it, might, might, it might cause some market confusion. If it might do, yes. It muddies yes. the waters a little bit. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Hey. That's a great. That's a great uh, comparison. I completely understand that. Now, I think there's a market for really dark romantic comedies that might have a thrillerish, suspenseous, um, suspense type thing. I, 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 I yeah, don't know what you, that would look like, but I think that would be kind of fun. That would, you be, know, that like would a, be fun. Like a really dark hallmark, you know, <laughs> like. I don't know what you'd call idea. it. That would be the yeah. That would be really fun. And funny you should say that because um, it it was never coming home. Last year's book. That's probably my funny. It's my one of my darkest for sure. But it's also my funniest. Um, if you like my sense of humor, if you don't like my sense of humor, then you probably won't won't, won't find Lucas um, the the protagonist antagonist of the story very funny at all. Um, but it's a story about a man who hires a hitman on the dark web to eliminate his seriously rich but incredibly annoying wife. Um, and she's so annoying, hopefully the reader will almost be okay with what Lucas has done. But it's all written from his point of view and, and the reader knows already from the back cover, and if not from the back cover from the first chapter, that this, this is not a good dude. This is not, he's not a, a good guy. But I had so much fun writing it. I had so much fun with the humor. That was the moment when I wondered, you know, oh, could I, could I write a romantic comedy again? I tried to have in, in The Revengeless as well, 
humorous elements because it's 360 pages. There's got to be some light relief in there somewhere for me as I'm writing it and hopefully for the, the, the reader too. But it was as I was writing Never Coming Home, I thought, oh, this is, this is really fun. I wonder if I could do this again. And then it, things aligned and it all worked out. So it's, it's, it's funny how, how things work out sometimes. Yes, it is. Well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have a fun game to play with Hannah, Mary, McKinnon. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. And we're back. Amazing how quick that was. So fast. So oh, fast. God. Well, one of the things I like to do to get to know my guests a little bit more is to try and have a little fun. Not that we haven't had any fun yet. But um, I've got some fun questions here, and basically, I'd like to get to know you a little bit more by digging into your um, pop culture history. So I'm curious, when you were growing up, when you were younger, what were some of your favorite things to watch on television? Uh, oh, my gosh. Okay, so I grew up in Switzerland in the 80s, where we had three channels one of them was in German, which was fine because I speak German. One of them was in French, which wasn't at the time because I didn't, I didn't speak French at the time I do now. And the third one was in Italian. So there was not a lot of choice. Um, so, wow, this is a really funny question. When I was very little, we used to watch a show called The Baba Papa, which I don't know if that ever made it to, to North America. It's these, these, this family of this is going to sound so weird. This family of blobs who, who can, can basically transform into different shapes. They're like shapeshifters, I guess, but really kind and really nice. So I used to watch that. Um, Heidi, of course, and I know that made it over here, the show at the time, was huge. And the, um, the young actor who played Heidi looked very much like my sister. So that followed her around for years. So... When I was young, those will, those will probably be the, the, the biggest one. And then later, we get a lot of the, the North American shows, you know, the, the Starsky and Hutch, um, the Dukes of Hazard when I lived in England. Oh, Dallas, of course. Oh, you gotta, you gotta love the Ewing, you know, J.R. Yes. Ewing and, oh. Yes. So all Fantastic. those 80s shows. Who shot J.R.? Oh, I can't uh, say that. I'll spoil it. I just remember that being such a big thing that was such a cliffhanger and then when they were you know coming back for the next season it was who shot jr the big reveal yes yes um, i actually used that as a as a plot point to a story at one point in time oh did you really i did i did um because it was it was a book i wrote that that leaned on a lot of 80s nostalgia so oh um, oh I, I need to know the title of that one because i love it <laughs> it's, my, it's my decade what can i say i know my Mine too. Mine too. And then you must have been a Friends fan because you've quoted Ross yes. Geller a couple of times. So. Yes, a huge, huge Friends fan. Um, one of my friends used to, to buy the, it shows my age again, the VHS tapes as soon as they sure. came out, as soon as they were released, she'd buy them from, from the UK, get them shipped over. And as so many people, we'd, we'd group around the, the, the TV and watch them. You know, we'd binge watch them. That was our binge watching, you know, not on not on Netflix or anything, but that's on right. VHS tapes, yeah. So Love I have, that. I have three kids. You mentioned having twins. I have triplets. Wow. And they are twenty one years old now. But friends, if I go downstairs, if and if they're home, 
chance they'll be watching one of two shows, either Friends or Seinfeld. Isn't that funny? Our kids, we have three as well. Um, be nineteen, and the old one is twenty. Um, and they they watch Friends too. It's one of those comfort things. It's it's just almost like a like a you, you know nothing bad's going to happen in Friends, and it's funny and it's familiar, and it's just yeah, it's. Uh, I, I listened to Matthew Perry's um, uh, biography, autobiography, and that was really, it was sad, but it was also hugely interesting. Yeah. If these listeners haven't had a chance to to get hold of that one, um, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I should get him on the show. You should. Absolutely. <laughs> Do that. Next I week. will. I'll call, I'll call him later. I'll, I'll, t- I'll send him a text. I'll yeah, send sure, him a text. Absolutely. Um, we talked about TV. What about, uh, oh, how about this favorite romantic comedy? What's your favorite romantic comedy? Favorite. And I know people are going to hate me for this, but the one I watch along with the family man, which I watch every year, um, is love actually. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That just, it just, I feel it in my fingers. Exactly. I'm not going to sing, but yes, I I shouldn't be singing either, (laughs) but that that song will get stuck in my head now for the rest of the day. Sorry, not sorry. No, that's okay. It's all right. I love that. That's a great movie. It's a great movie. What's yours? What's yours? My favorite romantic comedy? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um this is where I need like my wife to help me out here. Um well, it's not really a comedy. What was the one um Oh God, I, I got so mad at her because the movie made me cry. Oh no. <laughs> the note the notebook. Oh, the notebook. But not it's not a romantic. I wouldn't call it a rom-com. So maybe it's, that shouldn't be on the list. It's it's heartbreaking, actually. So it is. But it's beautiful because it reminds me of my parents. Oh. The, the, the older couple. Because my parents are 90 and 91. They've been together for 66 years. And, oh, wow. Um, oh, that's lovely. Um, okay, but rom-com. Geez, I love... Oh, gosh. I liked um, Notting Hill. Is that a rom-com? Yes. Would you call yes. that a rom-com? That's 100%. got some calm. Yes, classic. It's got calm and rom. Um, yeah, that's the first one that comes to mind. It, it may not be my favorite, though, so I don't know. We'd have to discuss a few more. <laughs> I really like About Time as well, which mm. is Richard Curtis. That's a really good one, too, with a time travel element in it, and that's hugely funny. And and Margot Robbie. I mean, I think Margot Robbie's in it. Yes, I'm pretty sure she is. So well, I'll put it on my list just for Margot Robbie. Um, yeah. What go. about But Family Man? Was that the one with Nicolas Cage? The family, yes, the one with Nicholas Cage. And yeah. Don Cheadle plays the angel kind of character, or yes. the one where he okay sees his alternative life. Yeah, that's yes. a great, that's a great movie. That's a fantastic. Ta- Ta- Leone. Taylor Leone's. That's the one. Yeah. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Okay, I've how loved. about um um Down to Me then with um uh David Duchovny? I think it was David Duchovny and and Minnie Driver maybe. Oh, I don't think I've seen mm. that. One. That could be that could be one to to think about. I think it's called Down to Me. I could be confusing it, um, but it's very good. It's very good. Um, all right, how about music? What did you like listening to growing up? I had a total utter crush on Boy George from Cottage Club. <laughs> I don't think that that feeling would have been reciprocated. No, but, um, no, I accept that. Um, but I just, I just thought he was, he was cool, and I love the music, and and I just, I just loved them. Um, I thought they were. I thought they were great. Duran Duran as well. You know all the eighties. No, oh, yeah. Um, Spano ballet. You know all the the those classic ones. Uh, and it, it's it's funny actually to listen to 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 hear the lads listening to some of the eighties music and and actually liking some of it. Um, my novel next year uh, haven't don't have a title yet. We're still debating titles. Is actually about the rise and ultimately violent demise of a, an all-female pop rock group called the Bittersweet. Now it's not set in the eighties; um, it's set in present day. But they are heavily influenced by music of the seventies, eighties, nineties. So I was, a, I was able to, you know, geek out about about my love of eighties music as I wrote it, which was really fun. I did. I wrote a book called Motel California, uh-huh. and and each chapter title was I was a big fan of like 80s hard rock and heavy metal. And each chapter title was named after a hard rock or heavy metal song. Um, and it I wasn't forced. Like it wasn't even forced. Like it was actually pretty natural. Um, but it was very self-indulgent at the same time. 
Well, that's okay, surely, isn't it? I mean, the ancient sure. music is very popular at the moment. It has remained, you know, going through still a bit of a revival. Actually, on August 1st, I am seeing, which I never thought would happen, Culture Club in concert. Oh, wow. I know, in Toronto. I can't wait. It was so how, much fun. How many original members are left? I think all of them. Oh, wow. Okay. I think think it's all of them. And I'm going to know all of the words to the songs. And even though I can't sing for love or money, I'm going to sing. As you should. As you should. So apologies to anyone standing around me in advance. Uh, What are some of your favorite places to read? Where do you like to go when you you read? Uh, It depends on the season. So in the summer, I love sitting outside in the garden in the shade because otherwise I burn, and that's not fun. In the winter, I love sitting in front of the fireplace, but I think my favorite, favorite place is, is in bed with my Kindle. There's no, shame in, there's no shame in that. No, that's, that's my favorite. That's, that's what I like the most. Um, and it doesn't matter, you know, Rob's asleep, I've got my Kindle, it doesn't matter, no lights, it's all fine. Um, and it's just, you know, relaxing and unwinding. I, try, I, I do read every day, even if it's just a couple of paragraphs. It feels weird, actually, not not reading every day. It's quite odd. Occupational hazard. Exactly. It's part of the job description. Yes. Yes, it is. What about favorite places to write? you have a favorite place to write? I do. And that, that, that depends on the stage I'm at with the book. So if I'm plotting, it could be in the garden. It could be at the kitchen table or the dining table. When I'm writing the first, my puke draft, as I like to, to call it, a very technical term, I'll be in the spare bedroom on my laptop with my phone somewhere else, nowhere near me. Get that thing away from me. I'm not, not touching it. And sometimes I'll switch off the internet um, on the laptop as well. So I'm really undisturbed. And then when I'm editing, I'll be where I am sitting right now in, in my office because I have two screens. Um, which I then use for research and and editing at the same time. So so it really depends where I'm at with the project. And then in the final stages, I'll actually, before I send the manuscript to my editor and agent, I'll read it on my Kindle somewhere, um, in the garden, in front of the fire, in bed or whatever, so I can really get the, the read experience. It makes me look at the book as if it weren't mine. Uh, that's 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 where I read. Do you have a favorite place to read? Oh, well, the place oh, wow. I read most often, unfortunately, is on a train into New York City. Uh, uh, because uh, a few days a, a few days a week I have to commute into uh oh. into New York. Um but I do that out of necessity. I'd love to read um we have we typically go on vacation in the summer to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And um, Harding's Beach is probably my favorite place to read. And I, I too, have a Kindle. I love having actually having a physical book. But when you're when you're at when you're at the water and, and it's windy, yes, you know, the Kindle makes it so so much easier to it does. It to does. read. Um, it really does. So and when you're a- on the train, I'm curious. When you're on the train and you're reading a physical book or, or on the Kindle. Do commuters ever engage or is that no, no, like it is oh, no. in Toronto. You don't, you don't look you at, no. do not. Actually, do not I have, look. I have a blog that I keep called the trains of our lives, which. <laughs> I love that. Which if I find people behaving poorly on the train, I will snap a picture of them oh. and then I'll block out their face. Of I'm, course. I'm kind like that. But then I will uh, write a little story about them. Um, just a quick caption. And it'll be completely fiction, completely made up, completely made up. But because they're talking loudly, yes. they, they become, you know, a star on what I call the first train-based soap opera, which is the trains of our lives. That's brilliant. And, and what constitutes behaving badly? Oh, if, you're, if, if it's the morning, right? If it's, if it's 7 a.m., and everybody in the car is just half asleep, just trying to get to work, doing reading, and two people are having a loud conversation. Yes, that that'll do it. 
Yes. That'll do. If somebody's eating loudly or just like, you know, you don't eat on the tree. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> taking a phone call. No. Yes. No, you don't yes. take a phone call. No, you don't. You wait. That, that call can wait. In my opinion, that call can wait. Yes, unless it's a huge emergency, then then yes. But if it's just talking about the the, the weekly sales reports or something, then yeah. Does everyone need to know? No, I don't want to know. I don't want to know about his weekly sales reports or what happened at the wedding last weekend. I don't need to know any of that. Um, You're going to have lots of worried people potentially now rushing to trains of our lives thinking, if, oh no, is that me? I'm still there. It's possible. Just, you know, don't go on Instagram and then you won't see yourself. Uh, I used to have it on I used to have it on Facebook and then I'm like, nobody is on Facebook anymore. So I moved it to Instagram and whatever. That's enough about me. Um, are you interested in playing a game like a quick a quick game? Oh, I'm game. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. The game is one of puns. I'm kidding. Um, no, the game is, it's called the alphabet game and okay. we're going to, we're going to write a story one sentence at a time. All right. And the only rule is the first word in each sentence has to start with a letter of the alphabet that we're at. Right. So A, B, C, D. Now I've never done this before outside of an improv class. So I'm trying okay. the first time. If this fails miserably, that will be fun. Uh, <laughs> Of course it will. And something good will come of it, as we have established. Exactly. So to to um, to make this easy, I'm going to make sure that we all know what letter we're on. Um, right. We have two things to, to, to decide here. Where does our story take place? And then what is our relationship to each other? We're on a train. Perfect. And we're just sitting in the pod. We do not know each other. And we're strangers. Yes. Now we're going to have to break my rule. Uh-oh. Oh, oh and because we're having we're having a conversation on the uh, track. Uh, uh, we're uh, off the bat we're breaking my rule, but that's okay because this is uh, not about me. And maybe right. it's not rush hour, so it's okay. All right, maybe it's a different time of day. Yeah. Oh, perfect. All right, so let's um let's start. Do you want to go first or should I go first? Um go first. All right. So we're on A. Scenes, okay. scenes from a train, take one. Scenes from a train, take one. Any chance you can tell me what time the, tri the train gets into Grand Central Station? Bollocks. Why don't you know this? Reiki, he's not looking very happy with me at the moment. Maybe I should ask the question differently. Damn it, I wish she would have just asked that question a little bit differently, because if she did, I wouldn't have been so upset at her. Every time I speak to someone on the train, it always backfires. Why is that? Fuck me, why am I such an asshole all the time? Why didn't I just tell her what time? I know what time the train gets into Grand Central. Why wasn't I just more uh, forgiving for her ignorance? Great. Now I'm going to have to sit here all the way to Grand Central and basically smile at this guy. Oh, no. Hey, I'm sorry um, I, that I was being such a jerk before. Uh, the train gets into Grand Central uh, just about 11.30. And I, I think we're even coming into the, the lower level, if that helps you. I'm so glad you told me that. I'm going to be late for my meeting. This is a disaster. Jesus, you didn't know what time we were getting into Grand Central. And now you're telling me you're going to be late for a meeting. Why are you making your problems my problems, lady? Um, oh, I'm trying to think of something with a Kelly Bolton. Um, keep cool, keep cool. He's looking at you with daggers in his eyes again. Just, just keep cool. Lady, I'm sorry. I've been, I've been having a bad day. Um, this morning I found out that, um, my 22 year old cat, 
uh, is pregnant with kittens. I didn't even think that was possible. And now within a few months, it's like I'm going to be a crazy cat man. I, and, and I just don't know how to deal with this uh, new reality. My gosh, that's extraordinary. Maybe you could tell me a bit more about your cat. Neverland. My, my cat's name is Neverland. Um, she's a tabby, uh, a rescue cat. Um, we think she was feral at one point in time, but um, apparently she's been getting around the neighborhood. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. This is amazing. Maybe you could have some kind of news article written about it. Perhaps. Perhaps I could find somebody interested in writing a news article about a 22-year-old cat who's now pregnant and going to give birth to kittens. Uh, it'll take some time. I will, uh, I will look into that. That's a great suggestion. Question is, though, how many kittens is she going to have, do you know? Really? You with the questions again. Um, I don't know how many kittens. How many kittens do cats usually have at a time? I don't know, 10, 15, 20. Um, she's old, so some of these I don't some of these may not even make it. Seems to me he might be making all of this up. Maybe I sat next to the one very, very strange person on the train today. Is there only ever one? You know, thank you so much for listening to me. Um, I, I do have a confession to make. I don't, I don't really own a cat. Uh, well, this is getting a bit strange. You don't own a cat. Um, do you have any pets? Vulcans, I, <laughs> I have a pet Vulcan. His his name is Spock, and I keep him on a leash in a trunk in my basement. What? Are you are you a Trekkie fan? Exactly, exactly. I am a Trekkie fan, and as as this train ride comes to an end, because we're heading into the tunnel, I want to tell you to live long and prosper. Yes, that sounds like a great idea, and the same to you. Zoinks! I think it's time to go. How do you, I mean, a Z, like how many Z words can there be? I went all Scooby-Doo on that. Yeah, Lou, Zebra, um, Zoinks, that's fine. That works. Zoinks is a cop-out. That was, that was just a cop-out. That was a cop-out. True, we did okay. I don't think that's going to make it to the shelves anytime soon. I don't think it'll be on the, the New York Times bestseller list, alas. But what? sitting next to a strange person on the train. I mean, look mm -hmm. how many, oh, like the girl on the train. That was a great book. Yes. And she was a little odd. Um, yes. Her psychological state um, and, uh, and the effects of gaslighting. But um, our time together is sadly coming to an end. Uh, my final question for you, because I always have a final question, is um, if you could write a letter to your younger self, mm -hmm. uh, call it Dear Younger Me. What are some of the things you would tell a younger Hannah Mary McKinnon? I think I think I would tell my younger self to to have a bit more confidence in in my abilities because I I suffered from imposter syndrome for a long time in my corporate gig and also when I was writing I don't think I called myself an author until book four released. Oh, wow. I just, I, you know, I just didn't feel that I had the right to call myself an author. And not that, you know, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with being humble. In, in fact, um, I think it's a good thing. But not being confident in your abilities can also 
make it seem as if you're not confident in the abilities of those who are supporting you. <laughs> you know, that you don't trust that what they're doing or they're or, or what they're saying. Um, so that's definitely one of them. And the other one I think would be put the cookies down and move more, love, because weight's way more difficult to shift in your fifties than it is in your twenties. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? I mean, I think the minute I turn 40, uh, oh, which is almost 10 years ago, I, I used to be able to just uh, think about running and weight would come off. Yeah. And then I, it doesn't way. really work that way. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That, I run more than I did back in my 30s. And uh, it's like I'm maintaining. <laughs> I see. I, I, I do obstacle runs, mud runs. I, I, I do them for the mud. I, the running, eh, I could take it or leave it. Um, so I admire, I admire runners. I, I, I really do. I, I wonder if I should. Sometimes I think I really should do that. But I cop out and I walk. So that's, you know, that's better than nothing. Yeah, it is better than nothing. Well, um, we've been talking to Hannah Mary McKinnon. Hannah Mary McKinnon. Do you have any social media or a website? Any, any place that the people who are listening might want to look you up on? Absolutely. Yes, please. So my website, my Instagram and my Facebook are all Hannah Mary McKinnon. And my Twitter is Hannah M. McKinnon. Come say hi. I love I love hearing from readers. It's it's really fun. There you go. Say hi and then play the alphabet game. Yes. Um, maybe do it by email. You never know. <laughs> you have a bit more time to think. <laughs> well, Hannah Mary McKinnon, thank you for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. My pleasure. Thank you very much. This has been so much fun. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.